Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercies upon us. Thank you for the celebration of uh, the passion and resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ, our Savior, your Son. Thank you for the privilege to study the Bible together, to meditate on your words, and to ask for your Holy Spirit to convict us and to lead us, to sanctify us. Thank you, Lord, for this time of fellowship as well. Help us uh, all to use our spiritual gifts in a way that will glorify you and will be profitable. We ask for your help, your strength, and uh, your clarity. Amen. Amen. So let's read Mark 14, and uh, we will read for context, starting in verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened, unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with, a, with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. But you have always, for you have always the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here begins our text today, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve. One who is dipping the bread, or dipping bread, 
into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, and gave it, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Alright, so today's uh, teaching is entitled The Cursed Disciple and the Blessed Meal. The Cursed Disciple and the Blessed Meal. So here's the main idea. Do not be an unbelieving traitor like Judas who loved the world, but rather be joined to Jesus Christ by faith and join his blessed covenantal meal by faith in his sacrifice. Don't be like Judas. Join the feast, the meal, the blessed covenantal meal by trusting in Christ and his sacrifice. So we will see two parts. We will see the rise and the fall of Judas Iscariot. And secondly, we will see from Passover to the covenantal meal of the Lord's Supper. So let's start with the rise of Judas. So this is really from the passage where at the very beginning we are told a few things about Judas in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. So Judas Iscariot. Who was Judas Iscariot? Anyone? One of the disciples. One of the disciples? One of the twelve? Can we elaborate the twelve whom? The closest. The closest. The apostles. So in, in Matthew chapter 10, we have the, the account where the twelve are chosen. It says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these. Then it lists all the twelve. And who is the last? Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. In Luke chapter 6 it says in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God and when they came he called his disciples there were so many and it says he chose from them 12. So there were who knows hundreds and he selected 12 
and he selected Judas he selected he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles the sent ones the closest ones the foundation of the church and the last one is Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor so he's listed last and you see they, there were so many right and he selected Judas and he had authority and he had so many privileged information he heard all the sermons he was with Jesus he had authority he saw the miracles and he was a traitor in John 17 12 Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says that he will lose none uh, that is nobody is gonna lose salvation he gives an exception though while I was with them Jesus prays to the Father I was keeping them in your name which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished except or but the son of perdition that's Judas so that the scriptures would be fulfilled so Judas is called the son of perdition it's the same term that's used for the Antichrist that we saw recently and uh, it, it, despite the rise and the blessings he was a traitor from the beginning yes isn't he also called the devil, the devil, when he just says, uh -huh. all of you and one of these is the devil? Correct. He's called a, a devil. We will see that later today. Let me read a quote from Desiring God, an article, an interesting article that um, tells us more about um, Judas during the time when he was not yet seen as a traitor. Shockingly, for quite a while, loving money and hating God can actually look to others like devotion to God. So he's talking about Judas. As we will see, he loved the money. This is what is unnerving about Judas. For a long time, Judas's reputation was as a student and close companion of Jesus. Judas lived, lived with Jesus and the other 11 disciples for the better part of three years. He traveled long, dusty roads with these missionary comrades. He ate with them, sat around evening fires with them, talking about the kingdom of God. He prayed with them. He heard more of Jesus' sermon than almost anybody. He received a personal instruction from Jesus. He witnessed Jesus' incredible miracles. He saw the Father provide for their needs over and over again. All during the time, Judas was part of the twelve. He mostly said and outwardly performed the right things. It's astonishing that none of Judas's fellow disciples perceived his deceitfulness. So you know the saying, you can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. But here's the thing, you cannot fool God anytime. You cannot fool Jesus Christ anytime. And so in John 6, 64, Jesus, it says, knew from the beginning who were those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus selected Judas, but from the beginning, he could see right through him. He has no heart for me. He doesn't love me. He loves this world. And from the beginning, he knew. But nobody else knew. Nobody else knew. So that was the rise of Judas. Yes. So you, Nana, this is just a curiosity about this text. Because God is all-knowing God. And he knew from the beginning what's the heart of Judas. And right. yet, 
we still selected Judas, I think, to, to, to fulfill all the prophecy that's for Jesus to die in the cross, you know. Correct. Yeah, just just curiosity. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, that was to fulfill the prophecy. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John seventeen twelve. Except the son of perdition. Why? So that uh, that's the result clause. <clears throat> um, that's the cause a causal clause. He gives the reason why he selected the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But that's the reason he selected to fulfill the scriptures. So there is a great rise, nobody suspects, God knows, but then there is the fall, the fall of Judas. So Judas is set and bent on betraying Jesus. So we see that he's one of the twelve, and yet he went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised what? What did they promise Judas? Money. Money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. In Matthew 26, the parallel account in verse 14, it says this, Then one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? Anything. Give me something. You give me something, I give you Jesus. Don't you think that's really... Do you feel well reading that text? I mean, it's horrible. What will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Some say the price of a slave. Definitely not very much, but a significant sum of salt. 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So that was the price of Judas. Just give him anything of value. Give him money and he's going to do it. That's his price. So, question for you. What immediately precedes the text that says, Then, note that then, Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests. In the passage of Mark 14. What is preceding? And how is that connected perhaps to Judas's decision? So, verse 10, Mark 14. Judas is gone. What comes before, and how is that possibly connected to what he just decided to do? Verses 1 through 9. What was the question? So, usually in the Bible, the authors, they they place things in a particular order for a purpose in their writing. Just like when you write, you don't have a sentence completely disconnected from what is in the context. There's a reason, right? So Judas just went out. What happened before that can explain possibly why he went out to betray Jesus? The anointing of his body with the oil. Okay, so there's the anointing. What was so special about this anointing? How much it cost. It was super expensive. It was a fortune in this little flask. We all know today small items that are, you know, oftentimes you would say that they don't do much. You can think of a diamond, you can think of some things that are bought in very expensive stores. It's just a small item. But this stuff is worth a fortune. And you and I, we may think, I'm not gonna buy this. This is way overpriced. 
you know, this is not worth it, whatever. It was super expensive. So what happened when this super expensive perfume was used? Here we go. He was mad before of his greediness. And uh, he, they scolded her. So let me read for us the different uh, translations of that. So in Mark 14, verse 5, it says, they scolded her. Let me paraphrase that using the different translations of the scripture for that verse. So the translation we have here, the ESV, they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. So she is scolded. And then Jesus says, why do you trouble her? Mm -hmm. So you get to realize, look at the picture. And you know, sometimes we just look at things and they will be the same for the Lord's Supper in an idealized way. We look at it and, and then we, we imagine everything goes well. You know, Jesus with his disciples, everything is peaceful. People are godly. Now, that's the picture. Now, look at the actual picture. They are scolding her. <laughs> that's not fun. And Jesus has to say, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? And that's really not a peaceful situation, is it? And then if you look at translations, uh, NIV and others, it says this. They rebuked her harshly. Imagine the poor lady. They criticized her sharply, New King James. They spoke angrily to her. They are, they are upset. Now, who is it? If you read, if you read John's account, you'll see that <clears throat> it was actually Judas. It was actually Judas who was the spokesman. So in John 12, it says this, let me read it. We'll read a lot of text today. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nod and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself or steal to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but you do not always have me. So Judas is the one who obviously cares the most about money and all for the wrong reasons. And he scolds her. And the disciples, without discernment, perhaps also with uh, wrong biblical principles, they just acquiesce. Oh yeah, that's right. We should not have done that. But he is the one. And you see why he does that? Is that because he cares about the poor? No, it's because like, well, you must be kidding me. We could have sold that. I would have a lot of money in the bag that I actually take from to put it in my own pockets. I mean, that's, that's pretty clear uh, who we are, we are looking at. We're looking at Judas, who is an evil man with 
evil intent and actions. Also in John 13, a little later, we are told this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end or to the uttermost. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we see, listen, this is a very, very important principle. When you have choices in your life, and you decide to go against your conscience, to go against the will of God, to go against the Bible, to go against what your parents taught you that was biblically sound. When you go against what you know to be right, what happens? It starts with an H. You stay the same. You sin and no problem, you stay the same. Is that so? What happens? It starts with an H. You become hardened. See, people say, sometimes people say, I came to church and I left all the same. You see, this is impossible. When you come to church and you come to worship God, you either come closer to God or you are hardened. People who come and everything is here for me, I'm just here at the gas station to get you know whatever I want, and I'm here just for me, that's not the right attitude. So either you come and you are closer to God or you are hardened, depending on what you do. And Judas, you know, over the time, do you think he was, he was not aware from the get-go that having the money back, uh, you know, there was already a high responsibility and he was never supposed to take money? Of course he knew. And for the whole time, three years, take the money in, in his pocket. He did this the whole time. And then what happened? Satan, what did he do? He entered. Because at some point you get judged. You, do, you don't care about God, you care about things of this world, you care about money. Your heart becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. You are hardened and then the judgments of God come. That's the same with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart ten times every time for every plague. And what happened? And it says God hardened his heart. So he hardened his own heart as the text says ten times. And every time also God doubled down. So over here we have Judas, he had all the time of the world to repent and he did not want to repent and eventually that's it. The devil is taking full control. There is a text that says that the, this, the prince of this world is at work in the hearts of the children of disobedience. Satan is, he is there, he's real, you can't see him, that's how he fools so many people. But he's here and eventually people are really under his power to do evil things, incredibly evil things. So we have to be very aware, this text is right here for us to think we don't want to be like Judas, who loved this world. And uh, to quote the text that um, we, uh, we discussed earlier, I'm going to first ask a question. So what does the fall of Judas expose in men? The love of money. Did you all hear the question? Yeah. All the children at the back? So we see Judas, he's one of the 12. He has so many privileged information, uh, opportunities, you name it. And he decides to turn his back on Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So what do we learn about human beings when you look at Judas? That's not just Judas. It, it tells us things about human beings. So what do we learn? So we learn that people love money, I heard on the right. Something else? 
What do we learn? People are greedy. I think also we learn uh, that you are only saved by uh, by grace. That God needs to choose you. If God doesn't choose you, no matter what opportunity that you have, you will not. <coughs> right on. And Eloise, did you hear that, Caleb? The other ones. We just said we learn from human beings that they love money. They are greedy, and they don't want to follow Jesus. They need to be chosen. How come Judas didn't accept Jesus? Look, he saw him. He saw all the miracles. He heard the teaching. He spoke like nobody ever spoke. He was speaking and people heard him gladly. How come he did this? This is insane, isn't it? Well, we hear uh, the, the um, summary, the conclusion from a divine perspective in John 6. Let me read it. John 6, actually you can turn there, John 6, verse 53. We will read John 6, 53, and we will jump to John 6, 60. John 6, 53. If someone wants to read this verse, the first one, 53. So just summarize before we get there. We will see that what Jesus says in John 6, 53, which is a summary of the whole discussion that he brings up, He's going to make people very mad. They're not going to like what he says in verse 53. Here we go. So people, Jesus says, you must eat my body and drink my blood. Otherwise, you cannot be saved. And he explains that in the Old Testament, they got the manna from heaven the bread from heaven and he says this bread that they ate by miracle that's what i'm going to do is more than this because they had to eat it all the time and they could die many of them died in unbelief but the one who truly eats my flesh he will live forever and why are they mad could you eat uh, body parts and blood drink blood in the old testament you couldn't. It was forbidden. So they say, what are you talking about? We're not going to do this. That's cannibalism. So they don't get the point. So he says, my words are a spirit and life. It's, uh, I'm talking about metaphors here. But they get upset, real upset. So then in verse six, 60, he says this. It says this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no, el no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I pause right there. That means this is a spiritual saying. <coughs> This text where it says in verse 53, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will be saved. That doesn't talk about the Lord's Supper as a parenthesis. He's making a metaphor that relates to the manna. And just like the other sayings that he has been saying, like, I am the light of the world. He says here, I'm the bread of life in the context. Or he says, I'm the resurrection and the life and so on. He's not saying he's photons, like the light. He's not saying when he says, I'm the way. He's not saying that he is rocks. When he says, I am the bread of life, in that context, like again, he's not saying he is the matter. That's not the point. That's not the section of the Lord's Supper. But you see, they get upset. 
He's saying, you must have faith in me. And another way to say that in a metaphorical sense is, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood. I must be in you. You must have faith in me. That's the point. And here he says, my words are spirit and life. This is a spiritual saying. But, verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. So he sees the disciples and he knows the ones who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him and he said this is why I told you now did you see that he just mentioned who Judas he knew from the beginning who was going to betray him and now look at the the um, consequence clause in 65 look at the connection and he said this is why I told you that no one can come to me except is granted him by the Father. The people who don't believe, the person who betrayed him, that's because no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You cannot become a Christian unless God reveals the Son to you. You will have all the, the blessings, all the wonders, and you will decide to take 30 pieces of silver rather than the Lord of glory. That's like that. <clears throat> 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to them, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, that's, that's the Christian. They all walk away and Jesus says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where am I going to go? There's nothing else that has any value, really. You are the one with eternal life. You. You are. And we believed and have come to know. So you come to know God. It's not just a faith in some creed. You know Him. We come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So, what do we learn? We learn that total depravity makes it impossible for anyone to desire to come to Jesus. Only the Father can reveal the Son to us by regeneration through the Holy Spirit. It's really just like Matthew 16, where Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Simon said, You are Christ the Son of the living God. Then Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So question. Now think about this. Are you in love with money? Or the things of this world, the things that this world has to offer? <coughs> Did you hear that? Are you in love with the things that this world has to offer? And what do you think will happen to people who do? So that's the question. What do you think will happen to people who are in love with money or in love with the things of this world? They lost love for God. They lost love for God? I would say they never had it because the Bible says we love him because he loved us first and uh, so if someone loves Jesus the Bible says that 
he has been given love by the Holy Spirit inside of them. But of course, uh, whatever pretense of love they had or whatever sense of love they thought they had for God will not last. Because in Romans it said when, when, when someone like disobey God and just keep rejecting God, right. God will give them like a, a reprobate mind. That's true. So they have no understanding of the truth. Yeah, good point. So basically, people who do that, they will get worse and worse. Mm. What is the ultimate fate? Yeah. Death. Death. Where? In hell. In hell. So, let me read some verses to weigh on our hearts, to pray for those whom we know are in that condition, or to change us if we are loving the world. Jesus said, no servant, in Luke 16, 13 through 14, can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And now watch this. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. That's amazing. I, I had forgotten that. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Those are religious people. And God says they were lovers of money. That's the worst description you can ever have. And Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. You have to make a decision. Are you going to search for things that perish? Whereas these and uh, things of this world destroy? Or are you going to have your faith and love on God who doesn't change? You remember in Acts 4, there was Ananias who sold his house and then he pretended to give all the money to the apostles, but he kept some and it was ridiculous because he didn't have to sell anything, he could have kept it, but it was all for pretense and then he died. Or what about in Acts 8, where Simon the sorcerer, he wanted money. We see in 1 Timothy that there is a qualification for pastors you remember pastors are examples for every one of us so that basically it's a qualification for all of us to be pleasing to God it says that they should be they should not be quote lover lovers of money first Timothy 3 3 yeah so if you love money you cannot be saved if you love things of this world you cannot be saved first Timothy 6 10 for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 2 Timothy 3.2 But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, the list goes on. Verse 4 Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people sounds a lot like like Judas and we are told in this text that there will be many Judases in the last days verse 10 you however have followed my teaching my conduct my Amy life my faith my patience my love my steadfastness my persecution and suffering verse 14 but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have a you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So in summary, 
Judas was the son of perdition, the cursed disciple, the one to whom Jesus said in verse 21 of Mark 14, Woe! Here's the curse. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So Judas Iscariot exchanged a mere 30 pieces of silver for the Lord of glory, the Christ. As the hated Esau of all, who exchanged the bowl of lentils too for his family inheritance. As Simon the sorcerer, who tried to exchange money for the ability to give the Holy Spirit. All these and many more in the likes of Balaam and others preferred the passing pleasures of the world and exchanged their souls for the things of the world. So don't be like them. Do not be a Judas. Because no covetous person that is an idolater has inher an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 5. And it says in 1 Corinthians 6:10, No thieves, no greedy will inherit the kingdom of God. So that was Judas. It was heavy, but it's in the text and it's beneficial to us so we could be giving. In the Proverbs it says, the one who gives to the poor, he lends to the Lord. And we are told that the one who has received much, he doesn't have too much, so he can give to those who don't have. We are told to invest in things that are going to have an eternal reward, an eternal, eternal return. And this is really a test. So basically, you could think of it this way. God knew that Judas was a thief and a greedy man. And what did he give him? The charge of the money bag. Isn't that interesting? I was uh, in church in France uh, for several years. And one day, do you know what we found out? That the treasurer had been stealing money for many years. He had stolen hundreds of thousands of euros. I remember one day I was in a, in a, in a general meeting the annual meeting and I, and I saw the treasurer I didn't know him it was just I was uh, I didn't know him very well and then uh, they were discussing finances and I, and I could see his crossed arms uh, when the discussion about spending something for evangelism he was like nope I don't want to spend this and the guy was stealing money for years in the money bag so sometimes you have people who are holding the money and they are held in high esteem maybe they are People think that their seriousness is spirituality. It's not. And so we should really be careful that we're not like that. And that also, um, wherever we give, we should be very careful that we know what's being done. We know that there are checks, that there are, there are ways to check that we don't have that kind of thing. Because it's, it's nothing new. And it happens even today. But again, on a personal basis, do you love the world? Or do you love Jesus? There's only, there's only one choice. You cannot have both. You have to love Jesus. Everything else is just something that will disappoint and damn. Second part. We saw the rise and the fall of Judas Iscariot. Now we will see the, the transition from the Passover to the covenantal meal of the Lord's Supper. Mark 14, verse 12. It talks about the first day of the unleavened bread. Uh, so this word is interchangeably used for the Feast of Passover. The two were used uh, really like synonyms almost. So the Passover starts and then there would be the, the next feast for seven, for eight days in total. And it was a celebration of the Jewish uh, feast. Uh, this feast was a celebration of the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, as you remember. And then they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Who remembers why? 
Why did they sacrifice a, a Passover lamb? What happened back in Exodus? Because during their <coughs> stay in Egypt, um, when when God told Moses to, you know, I will I will kill the firstborn of Egypt, so you put a blood in in your doors, uh, so the death will pass over and exactly to save your firstborn. Right. So the the plague. The last plague, to avoid that plague on their house, the Israelites were supposed to put blood all around the door. So when the angel of death would come, he would pass over the house and they would not be judged. So that was the celebration at the time. And as we will see, that's really, really the critical part. If you don't have the blood of Jesus that is on you, when judgment comes and eternal death is coming on people who do not believe Christ, if you don't have the blood of Jesus to cover you, you will not escape the judgment of God. But if you are trusting in Jesus Christ and you come to the blessed meal, well then, you will escape. In John, who wants to read for us? John 3, 36. John 3, 36. And as you turn there, in 1 Corinthians 5, we are told, Christ our lamb, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's the message of 1 Corinthians 5, <coughs> verse 6. So with that in mind, let's uh, have someone read John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But, who does, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on the wrath of God abides on him. So, in the Old Testament, there were types. A type is a living prophecy. So, for example, they would take the lamb, they would kill the lamb, and they would take the blood, and they would put it all around the door. And that was a living prophecy, a living picture of something that would come in the future. But every time you have a type, the anti-type is bigger. So I'll give you another one. Jonah was three days and three nights into the belly of the big fish. And the, the anti-type is Christ being resurrected three days after uh, his death. You see, and when Jesus explained that, he said, there is greater than Jonah. So the anti-type is always greater and always lasting. The, the type is always having some feeble aspects and uh, uh, also limited application. So the lamb that was killed to protect the Israelites is a type of Jesus who came to die. In John 1.29, John the Baptist said, when he saw Jesus, he said, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And again, in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So we have here, the scripture is telling us that the Passover lamb, it was actually a type. It was a type of Jesus. So you just read John 3, 36. In your own words, what do you have to do with Jesus so that the Passover lamb, the real one, Jesus Christ, saves you? Look at the text. You have to believe. Whoever believe 
will be saved. But if you don't believe, what happens? According to John 3, 36. Judgment. Yes, and in the words of the passage itself? The wrath of God, the wrath of God is where? <laughs> on you. If you don't believe in Jesus, the wrath of God is on you. You have to have the blood. Washed in the blood. If you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, like the song says, when Jesus comes back and there is judgment, He will not judge you. But if you do not believe, the wrath of God remains on you. Any questions on that? Is that clear? Yeah? Yeah. All right, good. So, what do we learn about Jesus when we look at this, uh, the next few verses regarding the preparation of the Passover? This is, this is where Jesus sends the disciples and so on. You look at this text, what do you pick up? What strikes you? Any comments, questions, or what do you learn about Jesus? So this is uh, um, John, Mark 12 through 16. Oh, the yeah. It's not. There's nothing that stood out to you. So he says, "Go there." To prepare and uh, you will find XYZ and he's he knows the whole thing he knows the future right you see that he tells them and everything is prepared like he like he said that really shows his omniscience he already knows he has prepared all of that you see that I can know something, but I have nothing to do with it. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think like that was already. Uh, what is the word? Decreed. Yeah, but destined to be like he made it happen. You see uh -huh. what I mean? Like, yeah. So it, it in my uh, opinion, here we see facets of the divine nature where he really just predicts exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and can you imagine? You just come and <laughs> you knock at the door and like uh, you enter and say, where's my guest house? <laughs> For the Passover. <laughs> sure, no problem. It's right there. See, it's an amazing room, all furnished and everything is ready. It's grandiose. And yeah, this is how it happened. <laughs> See, you got to read the text and really picture it in your mind. It's amazing. The interesting thing is, you know, when Jesus be become man, the subscribes and the Pharisee, they are the, you know, the... They call it intelligent in the in the like, Torah, you know, they are very the knowledgeable of the book. And yet they cannot recognize Jesus. That's right. Because during Jesus in this time time alone, he fulfilled thirty prophecy. That's right. Almost thirty prophecies yeah, in yeah. the Old Testament. Good point, good point. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. Remember, we read, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And you cannot know Jesus unless he is revealed by the Father to you. And so they were not in that category and they couldn't see. 
So we see really this amazing display and, and Jesus could eat a very simple meal on, uh, after his resurrection, but when feasts were to be celebrated, he also knew to have a beautiful room well adorned with a celebration feast and, and a great meal. So we see that Jesus is the one that the Passover uh, feast was pointing to. We are going to fast forward now to the institution of the Lord's Supper. And they were, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. So let me tell you a few things about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a magnificent, a magnificent truth for the Christian life. Here we see three things. We see that Jesus takes the bread, he takes the fruit of the vine, the wine, and he takes a cup. So when you look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, which is the instruction for the church as to what the Lord's Supper is and how we should celebrate it, we see three things in how the Lord's Supper was first celebrated. We see that there was one bread. He took one bread and then he broke it. And then he passed it on. And in 1 Corinthians we're told that there is one bread because we are many and yet we are one body. So we are in the body, of, we are the body of Christ. So he takes his body and he breaks it and then he shares. And he says, this bread is going to symbolize my body broken on the cross. So he breaks it before them. And as they eat it, they, are, they will be crushing the bread. And it will remind them that he was crushed for our iniquities. And then there's the one cup. And it says, this is the cup of the covenant. In, in the different uh, accounts, it says, that cup is the cup of the new covenant. So the cup symbolizes the one new covenant that we all partake of. And, and again, in the different uh, accounts, it says there is one cup and it says divided among yourselves. So they were passing this cup, this one cup, they were passing it around. And then there's the fruit of the wine, fruit of the vine. And so they all drink the wine. And the wine is a symbol of the wrath of God in the Old Testament. And also there's the color of blood. So the grapes were, they were trampled and then the wine would come after fermentation. And so this is a picture of God who is trampling his enemies in his wrath. And so the wine is really the, the concentrated wrath of God. And also when you drink the wine, there is this uh, um, two aspects where you drink and at first there is a sweet taste regardless of the type of wine. And when you swallow it, uh, then you have a sense of bitterness and strength and kick at the end. So God knowing that we would not we are just uh, feeble human beings who just see things. He gave us visual reminders of the sacrifice. He gave us the bread and the wine. We can see his, his sacrifice as a reminder every time. And we partake and we have our senses engaged. And here we are really told that we all partake to this uh, covenantal meal. It's a covenantal meal. It was the Passover, and then in the middle of the feast, he took one of the cups that, were, that was used for the Passover, and then he used that cup, and he said, this is now the Lord's Supper. This is for the church. And it says they all drank of it. In the history of the church, the Catholic Church had a heresy that developed early on, 
They said that the bread becomes literally the body of Christ and the wine becomes literally the blood. That's a heresy, as I said. Uh, when he says, I am the light, he's not photons. When he said, this is my body, it's not literally his body, it's a picture. Of course, his body was where? At the table, reclining. The bread is a symbol. And so, he says, those are the elements of the, of the covenantal meal. So the old covenant now is transitioned to the new covenant that's better and completely, um, it's forever, it completes everything. It's not like the Passover lambs that have to be sacrificed over and over again. It's the one and only sacrifice, once and for all. If you trust in Jesus Christ, all your sins are removed, past, present, and future. So we have to realize we are all sinners. We have sinned before God, and that's a big deal. In the long list of sins that separate people from the kingdom of God, they are not just thieves, they are not just covetous, they are not just idolaters, they are everything else. And all of us, we have sinned. And we need to realize, I'm no better than Judas. Unless God changes my heart and gives me faith and it gives me repentance, which I must realize, I can't do it on my own. I cannot be saved. But if you believe in Christ, you realize you are lost, you have nothing, and you come to Jesus by faith, then you can be saved and the wrath of God is no longer on you and you will have this peace you will see God changing you slowly but surely and you will see that now you are welcome as at his feast at his table and you can be blessed and you will note it says this is the blood of the covenant poured out for who verse verse 24 this is the blood of the covenant poured out for many I cannot explain this in great details right now, but I will tell you what it means. It means that Jesus died not for all people who ever lived on the face of the earth. He died only for the elects. The text says he poured out his blood for many. See, there's the intent of the atonement here. It says, poured out for many. Many people out of the world, all of the elects. Because when Jesus dies for someone, he erases all their sins and there's nothing that can now condemn them. And if Jesus had died for everyone, like many people think, there would be no one in hell. And Judas would have had Jesus die for him, just like Peter. But that's not so. Judas was a thief, and like any unbelievers, he was not a, a part of the many. And then he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You know what this is going? What's, what's happening here? The Lord's Supper was a meal. It was a supper. And at the beginning of the meal, he broke the bread. At the end of the meal, he took the cup. And it was a feast where you are welcome at the table of God. And again, when Jesus comes back and he establishes his kingdom, we will eat again with him. And we will be at his table. So in conclusion, as I said again, I will say, do not be an unbelieving traitor like Judas who loved the world, but rather be joined to Jesus Christ and his blessed covenantal meal by faith in his sacrifice. In Revelation 3, a letter to the church filled with people at that time who really were not Christians, despite the fact that many authors were, it says something that aligns well with this passage today, so I'll read it. To the angel of the church of Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, Jesus Christ, the faithful and true witness. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. 
but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So if you repent and trust in Jesus, forgetting the things of this world, Jesus will eat with you and you will eat with him in his kingdom. And you will be part of the blessed, everlasting celebration. And I w we will not do it, but I wanted to sing it, the song of uh, Fernando Ortega, Give Me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. That's, that's the song. At the end, they sang, a, they sang a hymn. I hope that's your song. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you. We give you glory and honor. And we know like Peter, we could be having overconfidence and think we will never fall away. But we know, Lord, we are weak and we ask for your help for the Christian life every day. We thank you for this uh, Lord's Supper, covenantal meal. And I pray that everyone here would be part of that covenantal meal, have faith in Christ. And help us to evangelize and to have discernment. Amen. Mm -hmm.